You are listening to the Today I Found Out podcast, where each weekday we provide an interesting story that is going to feed your brain. You can read more great articles like this by going to todayifoundout.com. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Today I Found Out daily podcast with me, Simon Whistler. In this episode, you're going to learn whether Newton was really inspired to write his theory on gravity after an apple fell on his head. And in the bonus fact section, we're going to look at the important difference in science between guessing at something and demonstrating it to actually be true. Let's get started with today's episode. Did Newton really have an apple fall on his head, inspiring him to come up with his theory of gravity? In grade school, you probably learned Newton's apple story around the time he learned that George Washington chopped down a cherry tree, that people in Columbus's time thought the world was flat, or that the pilgrims celebrated the first Thanksgiving in America and invited the Native Americans to join them. Since literally none of the latter three stories here are true, you probably have your doubts about whether Newton actually sat under an apple tree and had something of a eureka moment concerning gravity. It might surprise you to learn, then, that your teachers got one of these stories partially correct. Newton was indeed sitting under an apple tree when he had his so-called eureka moments on how gravity worked. Although it took him over two decades more to develop the fully-fledged theory of universal gravitation, first published in his Philosophiae Naturalis Principia Mathematica on the 5th of July 1687. He also didn't complete it without some ideas others had already come up with, such as Christopher Wren, Robert Hooke, and Edmund Halley, who Halley's Comet is named after. Though Newton claims, particularly Hooke, who corresponded heavily with Newton on gravity, and his ideas had little real bearing on his work, other than simply to inspire him to continue working on the problem. As Newton stated when Hooke accused Newton of plagiarizing his work, Yet am I not beholden to him for any light into that business, but only for the diversion he gave me from my other studies to think on these things, and for his dogmaticalness in writing as if he had found the motion in the ellipsis which inclined me to try it. So perhaps Eureka conveys much too strong of a leap. From accounts, he was more just put on the correct path while musing under the tree. Further, it would seem that the apple didn't fall directly on his head, at least there is no documented evidence of this. But if you discount the notion that he nearly instantly fleshed out his universal theory and the fell-on-his-head bit, the common story is pretty accurate. One of the best sources we have for the apple-falling-on-Newton's-head anecdote is a manuscript written by Newton's friend, William Stuckley. He published Memoirs of Sir Isaac Newton's Life in 1752, becoming one of Newton's first biographers. Many of the incidences described in the book were recorded much earlier than 1752, including the Apple story, which was first documented in 1726, the year Newton died, and then again a year later by Voltaire in his epic poetry. Stuckley's account is as follows. After dinner, the weather being warm, we went into the garden and drank tea under the shade of some apple trees, only he and myself. Amidst other discourse, he told me he was just in the same situation as when formerly the notion of gravitation came into his mind. Why should that apple descend perpendicularly to the ground? thought he to himself, occasioned by the fall of the apple as he sat in a contemplative mood. Why should it not go sideways or upwards, but constantly to the earth's centre? Assuredly, the reason is that the earth draws it. There must be a drawing power in matter, and the sum of the drawing power in the matter of the earth must be the earth's centre, not in any side of the earth. Therefore does this apple fall perpendicularly, or toward the centre. If matter thus draws matter, it must be in proportion of its quantity. Therefore the apple draws the earth, as well as the earth draws the apple. 
John Conduit, Newton's assistant and the husband of his niece, told pretty much the same story. Newton lived with the pair in his later years and doted upon their daughter. When writing about Newton, Conduit said, In the year he retired again from Cambridge on account of the plague to his mother in Lincolnshire, and whilst he was musing in a garden, it came into his thought that the same power of gravity which made an apple fall from the tree to the ground was not limited to a certain distance from the earth, but must extend much farther than was usually thought. Why not as high as the moon, he said to himself, and if so, that must influence her motion and perhaps retain her in orbit. Whereupon he fell a-calculating would be the effect of that supposition, but being absent from books and taking the common estimate in use among geographers and our seamen before Norwood had measured the earth that sixty English miles were contained in one degree of latitude, his computation did not agree with his theory, and inclined him to then entertain a notion that together with the power of gravity there might be a mixture of that force which the moon would have if it were carried along in a vortex. But when the tract of Picard of the measure of the earth came out, shewing that a degree was about 69.12 English miles, he began his calculation anew and found it perfectly agreeable to his theory. The year Newton retired from Cambridge was 1666, which means Stuckley's recording of the event took place some 60 years after it happened. However, both Stuckley and Conduit, among others, appear to have independently heard the story directly from Newton himself, making it reasonable to believe a falling apple was, indeed, the source of Newton's first significant musings over how gravity works. There are many different places which claim to be the home of the apple tree that inspired Newton's theory, but the most likely one, given the accounts, is located at his family home of Woolsthorpe Manor near Granton, UK. And yes, there is an apple tree there today that is thought to be the apple tree in question, though it has rerouted in the interim after being knocked over in a storm in 1890. Now around 400 years old, the tree and the property are protected by the National Trust. If you're curious, the tree is a flower of Kent, which doesn't produce very good apples for eating by today's standards, though they are considered good cooking apples. Further, the apples in question are green, not red, as is often depicted in Isaac Newton apple images. You'll note, of course, that Stuckley said there was more than one apple tree there at the time, so whether this remaining one is THE apple tree is a question that can't be definitively answered until someone invents a machine that can take us back in time to observe the event. Despite this uncertainty, there are many trees that have been started as grafts from the Woolsthorpe tree, including one at Trinity College in Cambridge which sits beneath the window of the room Newton used when studying there. And now for today's bonus facts. Astronomer Alexis Clairoux in 1727 commented on Hooke's accusations that Newton stole Hooke's work, summing up the situation nicely. One must not think that this idea of Hooke diminishes Newton's glory. The example of Hooke serves to show what a distance there is between a truth that is glimpsed and a truth that is demonstrated. Essentially, Hooke guessed at a notion that Newton was able to prove. Bonus fact two. Newton himself never chose to make an official guess at what actually was the underlying mechanism of gravity. In fact, while he noted, it is enough that gravity does really exist and acts according to the laws I have explained, and that it abundantly serves to account for all the motions of celestial bodies. He also stated, That one body may act upon another at a distance through a vacuum without the mediation of anything else, by and through which their action and force may be conveyed from one to another, is to me so great an absurdity that, I believe, no man who has, in philosophic matters, a competent faculty of thinking could ever fall into it. 
You just listened to the Today I Found Out daily podcast. This podcast is brought to you by todayifoundout.com and is produced by spokenmatter.com. To get more great content just like this, head on over to spokenmatter.com forward slash todayifoundout, where you'll find our brand new five-hour-long audiobook for just $5. And if that's not enough listening for you, Audible are the leading audiobook provider in the world with over 100,000 titles to choose from. Grab a free audiobook on us if you sign up today by going to todayifoundout.com forward slash audible. Thanks for listening.